0: Good morning. My name's Andrew Conrad. I'm the senior pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you. Um, And it's it's a wonderful time of many people coming into the church, so we are really glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. I know that sometimes that's a risky thing to do when you step into a new church, and you're like, I don't know what that's going to be like. Or if you've never gone to church, and you're like, I feel like I'm missing something, but I'm going to send it and go for it. We're glad you're here. We really are. Um, We are in the middle of a series called Created for Community, And um, in this series we've been, uh, and we'll be in for uh, the next month still, looking at um, being in community together, and specifically in the last week and today looking at friendship at a different level. Um, Last week we looked at covenant friendship between Jonathan and David. So David in the Old Testament, remember David who fought Goliath? Well, their friendship starts right after David, Goes to war with the giant Goliath and he, he beats him. In fact, when, when they meet, and when they, maybe, probably not their first meeting, but the time when their friendship kind of ignites and, and takes off and solidifies, David has just come back from beating Goliath. The king Saul has called him in to, uh, to thank him and to hear from him and everything. Jonathan is there. And the text tells us David standing there holding the giant's head in his hand because he had decapitated him. Um, that's, That's a memorable moment, as we said last week. And so Jonathan and David make a covenant as friends to follow the Lord. David has already been anointed to be the next king, even though Jonathan's father Saul is still the current king. He has failed and has been rejected by God as king. Um, and so imagine the tension. But if you're Jonathan, you've got Jonathan, David, and the current reigning king. David, the, the king anointed, elect, so to speak, right, by God waiting to take over. Uh, the country's at war. The king's been rejected. He's on de- in decline. David, the new young leader, is rising, and Jonathan is caught in between all these relationships, um, in between family and friend. And Saul's jealousy is fierce. It's so fierce that there are times where he hurls a spear at David, trying to kill him. And what we see is that Saul's actions are the very opposite of what is needed for friendship. Saul's actions are what destroys a relationship. And there's some things in that that are common to destructive relationships that I want us to look at in a minute in a minute today. Um, Jonathan's story is remarkable in this way, right? He's a son who tries to honor his father and honor his covenant with his friend. He follows the Lord in it. And so as we look at this text um, today, we're going to see two pictures, one of destroying friendships or relationships, and one that shows us what enduring friendship looks like. Let me pray before we get going in this. Lord, I pray that you will Calm our hearts and our anxious minds for those who feel like they're carrying the weight of the world, who are lonely, who are isolated, who are in relationships that are in conflict. Lord, would you, would you give us good news today about how you meet us in these places and what it looks like for us to be friends? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the text we're going to read is going to happen later, okay? But before we get there, this is there, so there, this is like chapters 18, 19, 20, 23. That's just a lot to read, right? So um, since I have limited time, I'm going to point you to some verses. Then we're going to slow down and read a text. But the first thing I want to do is look at destroying friendship. How Saul works to destroy the relationship or friendship with David. This happens in 1 Samuel chapter 18, Um, and so if you have a Bible and you want to open there, you can. I'm going to put some verses on the screen for you in just a minute, but there's a few different things that we see that Saul does that are commonplace, warnings to us that are destructive to relationships. The first one of those things is that he is self-centered. Saul was looking for David to fill a hole in his life after being rejected by God as a king, and knowing there's there's a near end to that for him. What's he going to do? And he's looking for David to fill this void in his life. And he keeps David around to fill the void in the sense of David's the war hero, and I'm going to keep him close to me, so that as he gets praise, it's near me and I get praise. As he wins, I win. That's self-centered kind of friendship, a relationship. It's not real friendship, right? He's all about, I need David politically. I need David for this and for that. That's a self-centered kind of relationship. The other thing that he does is he cultivates jealousy. He cultivates jealousy. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9, 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 and 9. I think we have those you can put on the screen for me. It says this. says, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He became very jealous because David was getting the praise that he has slain tens of thousands while Saul his thousands. And so this jealousy that begins to set in means that he knows the end is coming and he keeps a close eye on David. You know that saying, right? Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. That's what Saul is doing. And then the next thing that he does is we see this fight or flight kind of response from Saul, right, and we know that in behavioral sciences, we see this, like our tendency to fight or flight, right? Instead of to do what is good and kind of in the middle is to make peace and do things well, we see this fight or flight tendency from Saul. In verses 10 and 11, we see the fight. Notice what happens. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him. Twice! Twice he threw it at him. He's fighting. He doesn't deal with his anger appropriately. He just explodes in rage. But he also resorts to flight in verses 12 to 13. Now Saul's the king, so he's not going to run away, but what does he do? He pushes David away, and this is in verses 12 to 13 where we see this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. So it looks like, hey, David, I'm going to reward you. Go lead the men. That's good. It's good for me, but it also gets you away from me because now I can't stand you see that fight-or-flight response is coming in from Saul there. And at first, that, that flight seems better than rage, but what's happening is there's a bitter root in the heart of Saul that never gets addressed. And the problem leaks, uh, lurks deep inside of him. And if you do this, if you have this fight-or-flight response, right, you might blow up in rage, or if it's flight then you might just separate and push people away. And that problem doesn't go away. It will lurk inside of you. It will haunt you. And it will resurface with someone somewhere. The next thing that Saul does is he begins to bribe and plot. We see this in verses 20 and 21. Put those on the screen. Here here they are. So now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. So here he is. He had already tried to get him to become his son-in-law once. Why? Because he's trying to control the relationship and have power in it. Get him in the family so I can watch over him. He didn't want to do that, but Michael... Love David, and so he arranges for this marriage, and he does it, and they get married. What Saul does is he sets a bride price for David, which is common in the ancient Near East, right? There would be a bride price that you would pay for the wife. And so, in this case, for his daughter Michael, he says to David, The bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. I'm not kidding you, you can just read the next verses, That's exactly what it says. He does that because it is his plan to have him go to the Philistines and get killed while trying to get this bride price. David comes back with 200. I'm just going to leave that there. The point in that is Saul is bribing and plotting, and he's doing things that are further and further trying to break down this relationship. From self-centered, cultivating jealousy, a fight-or-flight response, bribing and plotting, conniving, twisting, manipulating. He's doing all these things. And he and David, even though David is much younger, at one time had a relationship in which David would come and play the lyre for him. And the music would soothe Saul. And he appreciated it. Right? I mean, David writes a bunch of the psalms. Like, he ministered to Saul. It was good. They had a relationship. Now it's gone. And for us, what are the warning signs for us in the downward spiral of relationships in your life? I mean, I hope there aren't, but there could be. What do you need to be aware of on the lookout for? Do you tend to have fight or flight responses rather than talking to people about issues and conflict? I just think I'm just going to bury it it'll be okay but in reality it's haunting you on the inside are you being self-centered and jealous with the friend do you plot how to avoid somebody who you have a conflict with Well, I just don't want to be around them I'll just make sure I avoid them here and there do you sabotage them with gossip and rumors and slander because now you're so hurt that you want to hurt them also If these things are happening, I've got news for you. The other person is not your enemy. You are your enemy. If that's the way you're behaving, and you're always like, they're the problem, you need to hold up a mirror. Go wait a second, am I the problem? What is it showing about me? If you want to have a friend, you have to learn to be a friend. And that's hard and it requires sacrifice and willingness to be hurt and offended and then work through that together and forgive one another. We'll talk about forgiveness in a few more weeks. It requires a lot of things. But until you get right with God, knowing that he is the one who befriends sinners and that you know you're loved by him, it's going to be really difficult for you in relationships to love God well because the more you believe the more you get in tune with the more that shapes the way of your life that god loves you this way it influences the way your relationships work and they become healthier now that's not always true meaning there are sometimes where some people in the world are just evil and they're doing things and they have no intention of trying to build friendship with you right and you might be nice and you might get run over but in a, in a sense in which there is a, uh, a relationship that you want and you want restored and you want to be together in, then both of you have to work at this in these ways. In chapter uh, 19, there's a there's a bit of a, a, a change that happens here where it gets escalated even more. And i gonna summarize a little bit of chapter 19 here. But let's put verses one and two on the screen of chapter 19. What happens is Saul now is so frustrated with David, and now his son Jonathan, that he orders Jonathan to kill David. I want you to kill your friend. And the attendants, in case Jonathan doesn't do it, you know, make sure David's dead. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. In the turmoil of the father struggling for power over his country, will the friendship of David and Jonathan last? Jonathan's trying to make it last. He's saying, go into hiding. Wait, you're going to have to, because my father really has gone off the deep end. What about you when life is threatened? When anxiety runs deep, when allegiance is questioned? How do you react? I mean, Jonathan's caught in the middle of that, right? You might be saying, well, I'm not in a a place like that, you know, where I'm in the palace of the king and, you know, fighting for my life. And while that's true, you and many others across this country feel the latent angst. We know from the Surgeon General's report that we're in an epidemic of isolation. We know from the economics that we're in inflation. And there's wars. And we're in an election season and it's Virginia right there's angst if you don't think that's true then a couple of weeks ago on January 29th sweet little adorable Elmo the Sesame Street character posted a comment on X formerly known as Twitter how long do we have to say that I don't even use it but X is the new name for a social media platform that used to be Twitter in case you did not know that Elmo's question that he stated is this. Elmo's just checking in. How's everybody doing? Within days there were 200 million responses. Here's a few. Not feeling too tickled about life right now, Elmo. Elmo, we're all one bad day away from moving in with Oscar. It's bleak out here, bro. Now, if If you don't know your Sesame Street stuff, Oscar's the grouch who lives in the trash can. Another one, wife left me, daughters don't respect me, my job's a joke. Any more questions, Elmo? A Couple days later, Elmo responds, wow, Elmo was glad he asked. Elmo learned that it's important to ask a friend how they're doing. Elmo, which Elmo will check in soon again, friends. Elmo loves you, and posted some mental health um, information for people to get help as needed. In a polarized world where friendships and relationships can get destroyed, how do you find enduring friendship? I want to read now First Samuel 20 verses 1 to 17. So you can follow along with me as we read this. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged you, your father, that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said. Let's go out into the land. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, I will send you word and let you know. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. It goes on and they devise the plot of how they're going to do this. And the plot goes this way, that if Saul is mad, Jonathan's going to go out to a field no matter what. He's going to shoot his arrows into a field, have his uh, servant run and get the arrows. And if the servant goes to get him and says, no, they're this side of you, then that's the message to David, it's safe, come back. If he says, no, the arrows are beyond you, keep going, it's the message to David, flee, run. The next 11 chapters are about David on the run, waiting for the Lord to remove Saul as king. But Jonathan does not abandon his friend, David. We see enduring friendship. And some of the things that that includes are peacemaking. We saw this in 19 verse 4, if we'll put that on the screen. Jonathan this is when he's talking to his father trying to persuade him Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him let not the king do wrong to his servant David he has not wronged you and what he has done has benefited you greatly so Jonathan is trying to make peace and then in chapter 20 what we just read he says I'm going to go talk to him again and try to make peace again and this time if not then I'll give you the sign what to do so when you have a problem when you've been sinned against right go to the person make it right if there's conflict if there's hurt you've got to talk about it and Jonathan is trying to do that on behalf of David and see if there's a way he can mediate this now that ends up not working in this case but Jonathan as a friend stepped into the gap to say let's try not only is peacemaking part of what enduring friendship holds, it's also risk-taking. Jonathan takes a lot of risk in doing this. He assumes a lot of risk upon himself. We see this in chapter 20, verse 4. You can put that verse on the screen. Jonathan says to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you, right? And then they devise that plan. Now, recognize that when he says this, that's going to cost Jonathan money. It's going to cost Jonathan his reputation before his father Saul, which is already dividing, And Jonathan is willing to go against his father's desires in order to follow the Lord's anointed and keep covenant with his friend because his father is doing what is wrong. Do you stand up for your friends? In the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama in the late 50s, I believe it was. He needed others to come alongside him in the cause, right? In this cause for justice in this march. He needed others to take the risk of friendship and stand with him. And he said to the congregation gathered that day these words. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Jonathan is risk-taking and saying, I won't be silent for you, David. That happens in friendship. It happens in large communities where we have to take risks to say, I will stand with you and not be silent. But it also happens at that individual level. If your friend's bullied at school, middle schoolers, high schoolers, if you've got friends that are being bullied at school, don't abandon them. Stand with them. Stand with your friends. peacemaking there's risk taking and there's promising he makes promises once again with David promises for the gift for the future in chapter 20 that we just read skipping ahead down to verses 41 and 42 let's put those on the screen it says after the boy had gone David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground then they kissed each other and wept together but David wept the most Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. So this is, they're still friends, but they're not going to be close to one another, because David's got to live on the run. And you can see their friendship for each other, and they do that that ancient Near Eastern greeting, the kiss on the cheek and and cry together and they weep because they know the cost of their friendship and what Saul's going to do. But they make promises for the future that this is between me and you and between our descendants forever. Making that commitment to one another. I told you last week about some of my Long, my lifelong friends about John and the, the half dollar bill that I have. You can listen to the sermon if you want to hear more about that But and how that friendship started. Um, I got a letter from John in 2006 shortly after uh, planting the church here. Um, we were meeting in a school at the time and in 2005 I had started the work of it. In 2006 we launched our services and I got a letter in January of 2006 um, from John um, and he was saying this is the the last check that troy and i are sending you for your mortgage i hope hope it's all going well so one of the things that they did was when we had to move to the area it was one of those booms in the housing market and we couldn't afford housing and they were with me and we looked at a house and they said buy it we'll help you pay for it and so for the first year they helped pay my mortgage um and so um he was sending a letter with that last check saying here's here's the balance due on that but the rest of that letter that was uh, encouraging to me other than just that um, I guess I should say this too like I found this letter a few weeks ago we were cleaning some things out in our house and Michelle said look at this letter and it was as I'm preparing sermons on friendship and so I read the letter and I'm not going to read it all to you but here's a part of it that he writes we've been friends now for 19 years You've made a tremendous impact on my life. Just knowing I have friends like you and Troy gives me an amazing amount of comfort and joy. Maybe in another 20 years, we can all be neighbors. Don't forget about tickets to the NASCAR race this year. We got tickets. We went to the NASCAR race here in Richmond. Um, We probably won't be neighbors, but we do get together at least annually. As friends, what you are doing is saying we're friends not just for now, we're friends into the future. Plan something together. Plan a concert, a, a trip, um, to go see a show. Plan something six months or a year from now. You might remember when Justin Early was here and he was talking about that, right? And his the friend who wasn't wasn't one of his closest friends, but was a good friend, and he was in his wedding, gave him a bottle of whiskey, right? And it had the number twenty thirty five on it. And he's like, "What is that? Is that the batch number or something?" He goes. No, that's the year we're going to open it together. Because he was saying, you and I are friends into the future. And that's the kind of commitment that friendship is. I'll be there for you. Another mark of it is presence. Not presence like gifts, but physical being there, present with a person. Because that is the gift of encouragement. We see this in a few places that we'll look at in a a minute here. But one of the definitions of friendship, when I was looking up, just Googling, you know, because um, I don't know how to use ChatGPT. <laughs> um, never tried it, actually. But um, So you Google everything, right? Uh, you, what is a friend? One of the things that came up that I thought was actually helpful and interesting is this. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. That's what Jonathan does for David. He goes to him not just in what we've already read but again in chapter 23 he goes to find him because he knows he's discouraged and been on the run let's look at 1 Samuel 23 verses 15 through 17 it says while david was at horesh in the desert of ziph he learned that saul had come out to take his life and saul's son jonathan went to david at Horish and helped him find strength in god don't be afraid he said my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. David leaves the palace, goes out into the desert, and finds David to, give, to strengthen him in God, to encourage him. He doesn't minimize the problem saying, don't worry, it's not a big deal. He doesn't pretend that he could suddenly fix it or solve it. He says, we have to trust God that this is what God is doing because he has anointed you to be the king. Trusting God in difficult situations is hard. I'm going to go back to that letter that I just referenced that John wrote. Part of the significance of that letter that five months before that Troy's four year old son died of a heart defect while they were on vacation and in that letter he was asking how Troy is doing I remember that day because I had just started working on planting a church and Troy's mom called me to break the news, and I said, "What, what, what does Troy need?" He said, "I need my friends." So I called John, and I broke the news to him. He said, "What do we do?" I said, "We have to go be with him. We're going to be present. We're going to show up for him. That's what he wants." John, in typical John fashion, says we have to get there before he does. So John leaves Florida. I leave Virginia. Troy's family was in New Hampshire. They live in Georgia. We got to Georgia before his family got home. We were sitting on the front steps waiting for him when they pulled in. Because we didn't know what to say. But we knew we had to be present. And then we could pray for him. And then we could try to help him find strength in the Lord. We just needed to be there. So we went. One of the things about friendship is that you have to make time for it. You've got to make time for your Friends. I've seen many of you do this and you show up for your friends You're like hey, hey I need to talk we need to get together and we do or you do Like, I I, I need a night out in the, the man shed or whatever or by the fire pit or ladies I got to get together for coffee or wh- whatever it is I see you guys do this and it's important because you have to be present to be a friend it also means that you have to leave marginal spaces in your calendar to respond to opportunities. And in a world in which we fill up our life with busyness, it's one of the reasons that friendship suffers. Because we don't have time to respond. If you've got friends, you should meet probably at least monthly, if they're local. Maybe more often than that. And you should pray together you pray with your friends one of our members uh, a lady who is older in years <laughs> told me recently pastor sometimes you just got to be more direct with us I was like okay we talked about that a little bit but I'm going to take her advice I'm not asking you if you pray for your friend I am asking you if you pray with your friend If you want to see a friendship grow, don't pray for them, pray with them, out loud, together, maybe even on the phone, leaving a message if needed. But pray together because it'll encourage you in the Lord to find strength. Do you encourage each other to obey and follow God? what Jonathan's doing with David He's encouraging men. the Lord don't give up the Lord has anointed you in this this is something we have to do we have to encourage each other to follow Christ above all else because there is nothing more important there's nothing more important in this world you might say in this world or the next it is the next <laughs> with Christ Present with him when I say that I don't mean that you as friends need to get to get together and and uh, hold each other accountable for sin and just beat each other up about it that's not what I'm saying you do need to hold each other accountable for sin you ought to talk about it and the struggles in your life and say okay how do we help let's talk about it let's work on it but I'm not saying just A friendship that is a put-you-in-your-place kind of accountability, shame-on-you thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a friendship that is a put-you-in-your-place, gospel kind of encouragement, pointing you to a grace that is greater than your sin, that is the only thing that has the power to motivate you and actually help you change. That's the kind of friendship I'm talking about. (laughs) Those are the friends you and I need. Those are the friends I see us have that many others want. We need to be available to be friends. I need to wrap this up here and eventually what happens with Saul and Jonathan and David is this. Saul and Jonathan go to a battle and they're killed in battle. And the people that kill them hang their bodies on the wall of the city. Some men go to rescue them and take them off the wall. Their dead bodies and give them a proper burial and david finds out about it he mourns their death and then david becomes king and he settles into the palace and he remembers the covenant he made with jonathan and in this moment in this covenant remembrance we see a picture of the gospel that is beautiful I want to take you there, but it's into 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David says, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because I made a promise. And there was. And so in verses 9 and 10, we see what happens, that David gathers... um, servants Ziba and his people says then the king summoned Ziba Saul's steward and said to him I have given your master's grandson that's Jonathan's son everything that belonged to Saul and his family you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for and Mephibosheth who is the grandson that's Jonathan's son grandson of your master will always eat at my table table Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So, David, because of Jonathan, takes Ziba's entire family and household and servants and says, I will care for you and for Mephibosheth because of my promise to Jonathan. Say, wow, that's good. It is good. There's something that is emphasized in this text in verse 13 that's important for us to get. It's part of this covenant. But it also says this as it ends. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. In other words, he couldn't walk. He was a cripple. Jonathan's son was a cripple. And he ate at the king's table not because he was a faithful servant, not because he was a great warrior, but because a covenant had been made that he would be brought into the king's family forever Jesus tells a story of a great feast at the table in the kingdom when many are invited and they make excuses I can't do this I gotta, I gotta go do this first or whatever and the owner of the house gets angry and says then go out and, and get others who would delight in being at the king's feast in Luke fourteen twenty one, there's one verse from that I want you to see what he says The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to be at the king's feast. See, you and I are the lame, but we get to be at the king's table because of the covenant that was made with us by God himself. You see, it really is all about Jesus and having friends and being a friend like him. You need a friend that does more than pays your mortgage. You need Christ who paid the debt you could never settle. Not just a friend who shows up in the worst moments of your life, but Christ who showed up on earth to suffer with you and for you. Not just a friend who promises a future at his table. At the next concert or the next event. But Christ who says you have a future at my table in my kingdom forever. And ever. And ever. That's the friend you and I need. And it's the friend you and I have in Christ. And the thing you need to understand about friendship is this. That friendship is beautiful. When it reflects the enduring Beauty of Christ who befriends sinners like you and me. Let's reflect that kind of friendship. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good, you are kind, you are faithful, you are covenant keeping. You are promise-making. You are present with us. You risked everything for us. You're self-sacrificing. Lord, would all those things be flooded into our mind by the Spirit of the living God that we might know that we are loved by you. And may that propel us, shape us, change us to be the kind of friend that you are to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Ushers are going to come forward to collect an offer.